Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate an elevated level, you get even more bonus content. A digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Kurdish Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. Hello, and welcome back to the Lions Out of My Donkeys podcast. I'm Joe, and with me again is the full production team of this podcast, Tom and Nate. How's it going, gentlemen? It's going well. How are you, Tom? How are you, Joe? I'm all good. I'm all good. I'm, I'm excited for uh, traveling outside of London for the first time tomorrow, so it's all going good. <laughs> the first time? It makes it sound like you're in a London-sized prison, even though you're Irish. I mean, I like, since... W- I have moved here like last year. I've been here nearly a year. Aside from like going home to Ireland a couple of times and a mistaken train trip where I ended up in St. Albans, I haven't actually left the city. (laughs) I mean, I kind of understand that. Uh, Like I've left the country uh, and like flown into Europe more than I've left Yerevan in the last like four months, which is kind of fucking weird. 100% the same. I mean, other than work, taking me places. I think the last time that I went anywhere in the United Kingdom that wasn't, you know, stuff in London was we went to Edinburgh for the Fringe Festival in August. And I don't think that I, I mean, like I've left the country a bunch of times since then. You know, we, uh, we toured Australia in November. My, my wife and I went down to, to France for a weekend in September. And then um, I've been to the US twice also. But yeah, like the thing that's really funny about it in the UK, at least, and Tom can definitely attest to this, is that it's fucking cheaper to fly on a cheap plane to Europe and just go on vacation, even a quick vacation in Europe, than it is to go anywhere in the UK. Oh, like, okay. (laughs) so so strange to me. By an order of magnitude, the trains are more expensive, hotels are more expensive, and stuff like pubs and food and shit, like, it is cheaper outside of London, but not that much cheaper. And so, like, genuinely staying in, like, a hotel in Bath in Somerset, you (laughs) you will spend more money than if you, like, flew to Portugal for a week. I swear to God, it's so well, expensive. From my, everywhere from my in this time country. in Portugal and all the British people, I fully understand that now. It's good what's happening. Um, but uh, like I, so I went to Wales for my own podcast to see like this museum collection a couple of weeks ago, and the train ticket to Cardiff cost one hundred and forty pounds just for the day trip. So like going in the morning, coming back in the evening, and I'm going to Brighton tomorrow. And the t- like Brighton is what, like an hour? Yeah, you can get to Brighton on commuter rail and it'll be cheaper, but it'll still be like, isn't it oh, like, like fucking it, 30 or 40 pounds each way? Uh, I got the tickets for, I think, 40 pounds for a return, but that's like off peak. So I have to travel at like right, right, right. Yeah, it might be a little cheaper than, than what I was saying. But I mean, I noticed it like when I was in Switzerland with my wife when she was there for work, like we got same day tickets and we didn't book like timed you know, like timetable trains. We just got like tickets, you know, on any train that'll, that'll go on that journey. And like Switzerland is not cheap compared to say like Germany or France for train tickets, but it cost us, I think, 70 pounds to go like a total for the whole day of like two multiple returns. Like, like so four journeys total, about like a hundred miles each way. I think we wound up spending like 70 pounds for that day. And it's just like, <laughs> that's we couldn't get two return tickets to Brighton for that, which is like what, 50 miles from here? Yeah, but, like, this is the thing, is, like, you know, everyone goes on about, like, we need to renationalize the trains, and, like, it's not, like, a huge amount, well, it is, like, quite a lot cheaper at home, but there's, like, three rail lines, you can go to Galway, you can go to Cork, and you can go to Belfast, and that's about it, Um, but, like, just how, like, insanely expensive it is, and the fact that, like, it goes up in price every single day that you wait... I mean, we have, we don't, we don't have like any, uh, we don't have any like cross country rail here. We have one that goes from Yerevan to Georgia. And it, that is the same train that's been there since like when the Soviet Union wasn't falling apart. So 
flip a coin, baby. Let's see if you like, and, and not to mention it's slow as fuck. Like you can drive to Georgia in like a couple hours, but, but if you take the train, so, it takes like 12. <laughs> it is so funny too. That's like America. That's like, that's like, like driving to Pittsburgh from Philly versus taking the train. Uh, but I would say like, also it's really funny with Brits too, because whenever somebody complains about how expensive trains are in this country, like if you look on a social media post when someone does this, there's always like salty Brits complaining and being defensive about it. Like, oh, well, surely if you booked that trip four years in advance, you'd be able to get a better rate. <laughs> no, why do you need to travel today? Why, why do you need to travel on short notice? And it's like, because that's how life works, you fucking limeys. It's so <laughs> weird, man. They're so, they're so defensive about it. And then it's like, the funniest part. Well, they're defensive is that about everything, though. They are, yeah. But this is like, really someone funny. Someone tried to, someone tried to mug me in London, and like, I didn't call the cops or anything because, like, I'm not so stupid as to think like they're going to do anything. They're going to do anything, like, yeah, exactly. But someone from my, like, the the guy behind the desk at the hotel I was staying at saw the whole thing, and like, I went back inside, and he's like. Oh, are you okay? I saw what happened out there. I was like, yeah, I'm fine. He didn't get anything. He's like, well, you know, it's better here because in the US you would have been shot. I'm like, bro, this isn't a competition. Yeah. Also, <laughs> like you, you wouldn't, you, you, you wouldn't have like, I'm sorry, but like I, I've lived in like you were in fucking Waterloo, like not exactly the most dangerous yeah. part of London or yeah. the United Kingdom. It was Kingdom. broad daylight. It was like 1 yeah. p.m. Yeah, like no, it was so funny. Same, same with me. I mean, I got I, the, the kids didn't get my my phone, but I I had an attempted mugging on a running trail at like two in the afternoon. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, like it's just, yeah, it, it's it's so yeah. But the the, the thing that the, the thing is so funny that, that before we move on to the actual topic that I've got to say is that most of the train franchises in the UK, the way that they broke it up when they when they privatized it, you know, uh, other train operators or companies bid to be the operators, like to run the, the that 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 segment of the train system. And I don't know like the technical details because I'm not like an expert. But what I do know is that at certain times, and it may still be the case, but m- most certainly at you know uh, in in various periods of time, the national train companies from like France or Germany or Spain have operated British train franchise like the lines at a profit, basically. So I'm dead serious. The state-run companies in Germany or France that have subsidized tickets that are cheap are making profits to subsidize their own nationalized system by fucking running privatized trains in Britain. And like, this is 100%. Like, this is, this is not the only, the only instance of this in the British economy where like, I'm dead serious, like a state-run or majority state-run company from another country runs a British service at massive markup. Like fucking EDF. Electricity to France, like dead serious. They are only allowed to raise electric and gas rates, or at least electric rates, in France by like four percent because of like an act of the French, the French Assembly. Like the government said, you cannot profiteer on the on the energy crisis, but they can they can raise rates whatever the fuck they want in in Britain. So once again, people in France are getting cheaper energy or like smaller rises in energy because it's being subsidized by the, like capitalism running fucking rampant in Britain. And the Brits love it this way. They love it this way. They're like, oh, this is the best fucking system on earth. Like, you know, anything else is just like, I don't, I don't understand why you would want it that way. It's perfect. In but uh, like, once again, once again, it. once again, Joe, Napoleon was right. Yeah, I told you. Nobody believes me about this. Are, are you excited for the Steven Spielberg miniseries about Napoleon that he's making? I have seen pitch. Maybe this not from the miniseries. Maybe it's from a movie of like Joaquin Phoenix dressed up like Napoleon. I was I was immediately sold. I'm like, I'm fucking in, bro. Because you can just imagine Joaquin Phoenix full like crazy brain from like that time that he wanted to he pretended to be a hip hop artist for a role for like a year. But like method acting is napoleon it's gonna rule it's gonna be it's gonna be corny as shit but i'm good i'm i'm a full-on mark for this shit man so essentially what's (laughs) happening is there is that movie that's coming out and steven spielberg is actually making a multi-part miniseries i think for like hbo or something based off it's either like kubrick or someone like that's cancelled like movie about napoleon so essentially you're getting like a movie and like an eight hour shit funded money like napoleon epic i I need them both it's like uh, that's what i need in my life but will Um, they talk about wagon manifests though i don't if i'm hired yes um, <laughs> you're going to be hired as a consultant. Yeah, I, I hope they talk about. I, I brought this up when we did our series about the French invading Russia in 1812. That uh, Napoleon's wife fucking hated him until they had sex for the first time. So clearly, the dude dicks down. 
Uh, so like, I, <laughs> I, I, I hope they make sure to put that in there. Um, I mean, like, if you look at proportionality, like the smaller the man, the bigger the pipe. It's just it looks bigger because there's less body to compare it to. He's it's not short. He's ha- just French. <laughs> no, but like you know, well, I'm, he's I'm Corsican. About, before anybody gets fucking mad at me, leave me alone. But like, it's, you know how like bodybuilders, like obviously when you take like um, growth hormones and like PEDs, it makes your balls shrink, but like makes your penis look really small because you have so much mass surrounding it. Yeah, you can't you can't look like one of those freak show cows uh, and expect the rest of your body to not look hilarious. I mean, look at every professional wrestler with an HGH skull, you know? Like it's why like poor uh Batista will never be able to find a pair of glasses that fits him. But um, like if if Napoleon was alive now, I bet he instead of trying to conquer the world, he would have just like got absolutely yoked and shredded like Dorian Yates. <laughs> I was gonna say if you if you introduce Napoleon to macronutrients and fucking like drugs that let you keep your hairline, and that dude would just he wouldn't have to conquer Russia because he would be conquering every bedroom in Europe. Like that, like you said, that he had he had he had the winner's mentality. He just uh, he just you know expressed it in the wrong way. And and just frankly, Napoleon I feel like ripping four plates off the ground and deadlift and making the booty clap like Madison Square Garden. <laughs> Napoleon would have just been like modern French influencer version of Noel Dreazel, just like absolutely jacked, like deadlifting like five plates, only having a ROM of like three inches because he like <laughs> I'm just well, imagining like like Louis Napoleon fragrance. He's just basically Jeremy Fragrance, but the French version. I genuinely, man. <laughs> Napoleon as just TikTok just cigarettes influencer. and cheese. <laughs> All right, now that we've lost literally every single one of our listeners, <laughs> <laughs> we didn't. We, you know what? We had to fucking. We we only wanted the true, the dedicated, the the serious listeners, the ones who were willing to put up with our dumb bullshit before we talked. Hey, about last history. last time someone complained that we talked bullshit for twenty minutes before we started. This time I'm looking at twelve minutes and sixteen seconds. We're getting better. But like. <laughs> To be honest, it feels like you could like mark off everything off the triple threat, you know, bingo card. It's like me and Nate complaining about London, me and Joe talking about like what if X historical figure was a bodybuilder, you know, how how big is a historical figure's genitals, you know. These are the things that people come to the show for. They, they, <laughs> they knew what they were getting themselves into when they clicked subscribe on their podcast app. Like 100%. This is just this is what we do. I just want someone to Photoshop Napoleon's head onto Dorian Yates now. Um, no, <laughs> I'll do that. <laughs> that that is going to be the the cover art for this episode. It's going to make no sense at all because none oh. of those none of these people are in the show at all. I'll just um, uh, Photoshop Napoleon's death mask on top of you know the really famous. I think it's in like ninety six or ninety seven. No, that would have been Ronnie Coleman. That's it. You know the like famous like death mask picture of Dorian Yates where he's like. Point like two percent body fat, and you can actually see his skull underneath his face. <laughs> hey, look! If I can't see the like the outline of your of your of your skull, did you truly cut for that competition? I don't think so, and I'm I'm really starting to doubt your uh your dedication to Sparkle Motion. Um, I mean, the entirety of uh, Napoleon's army when they invaded France just went on the most extreme cause. <laughs> <laughs> You know, yeah. I, I gotta say, Joe, we, this is a history podcast, and that's why I appreciate you making reference to a a sort of like hip in or thought to be fucking contemporary movie reference for a movie that's twenty two years old. So you know what? Yeah, I'm I, I'm truly thirty four. I understand. Death comes for us all. <laughs> yeah, you know, and death also comes for Crusaders. There, I did it. Fourteen a minutes. Segway. Finally. <laughs> Now, we here at the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast absolutely love Crusaders. No, not like that. Don't clip that. But rather because... I'm going to clip that. <laughs> I know you are. Um, but rather because they've given us some of like our dumbest episodes we've ever talked about. And I know that says a lot. Um, from the time a bunch of homeless, starving, diseased guys attempted to walk from kind of Germany to Jerusalem uh, and died uh, and to a bunch of guys who set off to fight the Muslims, but took a pit stop to invade various Christian cities in order to settle a boat related debt. They are truly the dumbest kind of guys from history, which is why today we're talking about the battle of Hatton, otherwise known as the time a bunch of crusaders forgot that heat existed in the desert and the fact that human beings need to drink water in order to survive. 
think you'll I feel find like this that if, is perfect, I, I th- perfectly on the same level of like every other dumb story about crusaders. Like, hmm, what if we like went into the desert and didn't bring any water? Wearing I, I wearing chainmail totally and shit. Yeah. Uh, also, content warning: I'm going to be saying French words. Um. I, I, I feel like I feel, I, I I I feel like the crusader mentality of God wills it, meaning that I don't have to bring water or supplies or do any kind of you know basic preparation. Kind of implies in a way that Jordan Peterson embodies the crusader mindset. Because God wills it. Imagine Jordan Pino going on a only meat diet and then basically frying your brain on nothing but benzodiazepines. Like that is crusader mindset. If you're like doing that it fucking for, picture of his for, daughter and him when he has that weird <laughs> suction machine <laughs> on his dick. <laughs> what the Jordan fuck Peterson is up with just that? like absolutely streams of tears going through his helmet, screaming Deus Volt during the sack of Jerusalem. <laughs> <laughs> honestly, honestly, and he's doing it for manhood related reasons. So that is not that far off from doing it because God wills it and you have to save Christendom. Uh, so does that mean that some like random Twitter uh, Marxist Leninist is his version of Saladin? <laughs> no, uh, I, I think literally yeah, any Disney film is by some fourteen-year-old who like has read uh, Discipline and Punish twice and is just like absolutely bodying him at every single turn. He did do a debate uh, about the Communist Manifesto against the guy and didn't even read it, which is no, pretty no, no, impressive. No, 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 no. There's, there's more detail on that. He he debated Slavoj Žižek and he he hadn't read anything that Karl Marx had ever written. And Zizek was just like, <laughs> well, no, the, the point that you're making, for example, is like in the critique of the Gotha program, like all this stuff he's referencing because he's read Marx. And Jordan Peterson in this debate admitted that he basically skim read the Communist Manifesto, which is like 3,000 words. And he'd never read anything. Yeah, it's... I, re- I read the... F- I watched the Philosophy of Life video on Karl Marx. It was 10 minutes. It was more than sufficient. Look, as someone who hates reading theory, I could almost respect that if it wasn't Jordan Peterson. Uh- <laughs> well, all I can say is now I'm just imagining Richard the Lionheart saying, Up yours, woke moralists. We'll see who cancels who. <laughs> now... To get to uh, ye old Jordan Peterson, uh, the heir of the Crusader states, we have to go back to the 1100s. Oh, and a lot of uh, Muslim sources that I use, Arab scholar sources, scholarly sources, call them Franks um, rather than Crusaders because they just consider them all to be from like Frankia, um, which fair enough. They all look the same. Uh, It's just white people in armor. But like I have I'm calling them Crusaders. So it makes more sense to people listening. now, things were not exactly in their, the peak of power for the Crusaders in the Middle East during this time. For starters, these states, namely Edessa, Tripoli, and Jerusalem, uh, Edessa, Texas, I assume, are all like these kind of shaky but very tactically important positions, not to, men- not to mention ideologically important because it's Jerusalem. Uh, but because of that, they're virtually always in the front line of every crusade or crusade-adjacent war that erupted between the Muslims and the Christians in the Middle East. None of these states were ever self-sufficient in any way. We did not get any crusader juche. Uh, these wars uh, that they constantly found themselves in, because like their religious ideology demanded it, they could not exist without fighting these wars against their Muslim neighbors. Because again, I mean, they invaded and took that place over. Their religious ideology demanded constant warfare. It's kind of like ISIS was never going to sign a peace treaty and settle down, you know, like. <laughs> their their religious beliefs demanded constant slaughter, you know, um, and load for the blood god. Yeah, uh, except this time it's just some like asshole named Guy who is king of Jerusalem. Uh, oh, <laughs> I'm, I must defend Jerusalem. Uh, <laughs> god, you you just made the most cursed guy. Um, <laughs> now these these constant wars were incredibly expensive in both gold and human bodies. These kingdoms' populations were dependent on Europe for both of those resources. At no points were their economies able to support themselves, nor were their populations. In order to keep now, in order to keep these places afloat, uh, they required a never-ending pipeline of religious money, warriors, and pilgrims to be pushed that direction from Europe. Obviously, this kind of thing is untenable in the long run. And the final nail in the coffin, that being the you know, the choke off the crusader states was generally European kingdoms got better at administration. 
uh, i.e. kings centralized control of their kingdoms. At least they did, did so better than they had done before. And they more effectively began to funnel money towards themselves for domestic use rather than, you know, letting their lords and, and random fiefs act for themselves and keep chucking their idiot cousin brother king down in Jerusalem five bucks whenever he asked for it. So It's you know, just like having a modern day Patreon. It, it, Jerusalem at this point is a hot couch guy. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, um, also, like, so their coffers are running low, and the population of Jerusalem is not super high. Again, it's not self-sustaining. There's always pilgrims going back and forth, and the kingdom would do the best they could to try to get people to stay there, uh, but they, it wasn't always great. Uh, also, the wars in the Middle East began to not even be the second, but rather the fir- third fiddle in the local crusading racket. For starters, there was the Reconquista in Spain, which drew warriors to make the hike from like from uh, the the normal pool, right? And, and there was also the Teutonic Drang knocked Austin to drive east that saw Germanic knights slaughtering Slavs. Thankfully, something that Germans have never done again. I was going to say that's of- kind of the origin of the first Tannenberg, isn't it? Like yes, this is the, exactly the, where the, that comes the, from. Yeah, those the, in the fourteen hundreds, the, the yeah. Prussian League, basically. Yeah, you know, uh, driving driving eastward. Yeah, and it, the the now the the Teutonic drive east had a significantly more of a racial undertone, uh, but it was also still religious supremacism. Now it turned out that the the Crusaders of Europe would much rather take a shorter trip to you know Eastern Germany or Spain uh, because they're much closer than hike all the way to the fucking Middle East, um, and. There had been previous massive losses by crusaders that had taken a serious chunk out of the nailed god's followers in the region, specifically the second crusade. Um, and so things are looking a lot less appealing. Like Knights in Europe are like, wow, we can go do our rape and pillage over that way. Seems things are going a little better. Uh, also, I don't have to you know, walk for three months or whatever. Also, Nur ad-Din had stripped away Edessa from the crusaders and then taken Damascus. Uh, Damascus had often supported the crusader cause and he had continually mauled the army of Antioch, which had never fully recovered from an annihilation of a battle called the field of blood in 1119, which is always a, an optimistic name for a battle. I was like going to say, well. yeah, when I, when I hear about a battle called the field of blood, I'm just sort of like, yeah, you know, I think things went well. It was probably pretty organized. You know, all the goals Honestly, were just achieved. sounds absolutely based. I mean, it probably went well for someone. Uh, <laughs> Uh, now, a final major setback came when King Amaric, who soon after his 1162 coronation of Jerusalem, reversed two generations of crusader strategic policy, which was for the army of Jerusalem to immediately march north whenever Antioch was threatened. Instead, he decided to invade Egypt three fucking times. Um, all of these invasions failed. Uh, it bankrupted the kingdom and he just hemorrhaged army after army. It also opened Antioch to get its shit kicked in without help, and now the Crusader states were completely surrounded. Well done. Uh, once again, I feel like there is just this like repeating thing through history of like people making the mistake of trying to invade Egypt and then just immediately getting absolutely fucked in the aftermath. It's not an easy place to invade. Uh, not to mention, like Saladin is a much better tactician than literally any king of Jerusalem ever was. <laughs> like, it's like just keep feeding in your idiotic French and German people into this desert buzzsaw, you moron. Um, now, the king of Jerusalem was also a dumbass and plunged the kingdom into a secession crisis. The throne passed to his first teenage son, Baldwin the Fourth, who. You might remember yeah. as a leper. Uh, he was a leper played by Edward Norton, Kingdom of Heaven, a noted terrible film. Um, Honestly, I lo- so this is a bit of a fact. So I am on some weird corners of TikTok because I, I like TikTok. I'm aware. You send them to me all the time. Intentionally, so I get the weirdest shit possible. And there is a weird like section of like trad cath return teenagers who idolize Baldwin IV. And like use like clips from that movie to talk about how based he was, despite the fact he was like literally melting. I mean, return to tradition and die of leprosy. <laughs> uh, I will say that movie sucks, uh, but Edward Norton's role is very well, uh, very well done. Um, 
Then uh, the, the, the throne passed to Baldwin's seven-year-old nephew, Baldwin V. The following political instability and infighting was the kind of thing you expect when a seven-year-old becomes king. Oh, and then he died when he was eight. Um, nobody's entirely sure why. I'm assuming someone said, fuck them kids. I'm always very frustrated when you hear a story in history about a seven-year-old king and you're like, yeah, but there was like regents and advisors and people making decisions because I want to be like, no, I want you to let this seven-year-old run the kingdom. Like all of the fucking king's horses and king's men have to be made out of candy. Like, I don't know. You have to have a science to invent bringing the dinosaurs back. Like even if they didn't even know what the dinosaurs were in the year 1100, like they thought they were just demons placed on earth to test Christian's faith. Like... I don't care. I want a seven-year-old king to get to rule as a seven-year-old. I want to see a medieval bouncy castle inside a real castle. I'm, I'm sorry, Mr. Saladin. Can we fight with gingerbread swords? <laughs> I, have, I have a new edict from the king. Unrolling it. No one is the allowed king, to eat the, vegetables. <laughs> the kingdom of Jerusalem is straight bussin' for real. That is all. <laughs> by, by royal decree of the king, we are banning homework, we are banning bedtime, and we are banning vegetables. And the king has said, gotta catch them all. All right. All right. That's all. We gotta kill this fucking kid. We will be investing all of our state resources to making Pokemon real. Can you imagine? <laughs> can you imagine if you were like the like the chief minister or whatever the title was for like the sort of chief of staff to the king, like the the, the head advisor to a seven year old? Can you imagine how many fucking stupid questions you'd have to answer? Like every single time there was some sort of ceremony, but based on I don't know some kind of precedent or some kind of tradition, you'd just be like, why, why? Why do you do that? Like, just why can't we kill the infidels? I'm not uh, touching you. I'm not touching you. Please, sir, your highness. This is a very serious meeting. <laughs> just fully in falling like, asleep an, in a like a uh, absolute like high tension diplomatic meeting between like two kingdoms and saying, "I know what you are, but what am I?" <laughs> is this exactly. the kingdom's official stance? Your face. I mean, like if if he was like slightly older than. A, just a massive war starting out because he called a an opposing leader gay. I'm just imagining. <laughs> yes, Sal, Saladin basically able to convince all of Western Europe to just convert to to Islam because he gets the Frank seven year old Frankish king really really spun up that if you convert to Islam you can fart with your armpit even better. <laughs> just like having a king with no object permanent so as soon as his soldiers like march off onto the battlefield he has no he has no idea he has an army saladin sits down he's like i have an idea to defeat this frankish king please your highness come here he just holds up a, a set of car keys and jingles them i was gonna say like playing, hi playing hide and seek and just like telling the kings like oh if you hide in that chest you no one will ever find in you and then just throw the chest in the river and then <laughs> i assume that's what happened when he died when he was eight yeah, um so saladin's courtiers managed to develop a, like a, a, a you know precise byzantine wooden carving tamagotchi to give to the seven-year-old frankish king and <laughs> he just gets so distracted he can't make decisions just like the highest trained assassins in the land Playing the most deadly game of got your nose. <laughs> you, you guys don't have any experience with kids, I swear to God, because it's fucking like you, you're, you're dropping object permanence. So like, okay, is the king two years old? But then you're also talking about calling them gay. Like only seven year olds in Indiana call each other gay. In other places, they don't <laughs> no, know what that fucking is yet. No, 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 no. To correct you, I said if he was a couple years older, he okay, would be calling fair, an opposing fair, leader gay. Fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. Now, when he died and he was eight, this led to an absolute shit fit in court. As most of the nobles hated the guy slated to become the future king. Guy of Lusignan? Nailed it. Moving on. Um, Nate, shut up. <laughs> I, I can't see the writing, so I can't tell you what it is. I do that for a reason. I fucking nailed it. My French is impeccable. Um, now, for different reasons. Uh, now, they wanted his wife, Sibylla, who is sister of the leper Baldwin and mother of the dead king Baldwin. Uh, the child king baldwin to be queen however they wanted someone else they didn't want Guy. so the nobles talked her into divorcing Guy and marrying someone else uh they who they liked more as being king now this is kind of funny because this is done in this like very dramatic situation where sibylla accepts the queen's like crown up on like this elevated platform where the the, the throne is and then she's going to call forward 
her choice of king. And there's a guy, Raymond III of Tripoli, who all the nobles like. Raymond III has been told that she is going to pick him. Everybody is there to watch his coronation. And then she goes, ha, worked your ass. Guy, please step forward. He becomes king anyway. Um, the greatest twist in The Bachelor, just like defi- deciding the fate of an entire kingdom. Yeah, exactly. Uh, now, Raymond III was fucking pissed. Uh, he came all the way from Tripoli only to get, only to get like duped. Uh, he was also uh, Almeric's first cousin. So he was pretty sure everybody was pretty sure he's going to be king. So he attempted to overthrow the new government, which failed. So he went back home to Tripoli, threw up a big middle finger to Jerusalem and made his own separate piece with Saladin. Now, without going into it too much here, because it doesn't really have bearing on the story, but Raymond not only made that piece, but he actively worked with Saladin to fuck with Jerusalem. At one point, he invited El Afdal, who is Saladin's oldest son, to lead a 7,000-man army through his territory in Galilee to pillage Jerusalem, uh, like the outlying areas of Jerusalem. Um, this led to a very stupid moment in Crusader history, which is you know, most of them. Knights Templar Grand Master Gerard of Reedfor uh, heard about Al Afdal's army and mustered a a, a princely force of about 200 guys. Uh, remember, the, that army is 7,000 men strong. He charged directly at them outside of Nazareth. Uh, this, of course, ended with most of them being slaughtered, only three of whom survived, including Gerard. Uh, and as dumb as this was, it's even dumber in retrospect to the story we're about to talk about, because Jerusalem lost a full 10% of its Knights Templar contingent, which were their most experienced knights. Um, now, Guy kind of figured out at this point that Saladin meant to invade Jerusalem at some point soon. So he made peace with Raymond, saying, hey, I know you made some light treason out there, but can we be friends again? Forget about that whole battle thing that you did. Raymond agreed. So once again, uh, before the coming Saladin invasion, Tripoli and Jerusalem became friends. Well, they still fucking hated one another, but they hated Muslims more because, of course, they did. By 1187, Jerusalem found itself pretty much bankrupt, which meant they couldn't fill gaps in the ranks of their army from their you know, knights dying like idiots with mercenaries, which is their normal backup plan. Now they had neither knights nor mercenaries. This meant when Saladin, commander of the Muslim armies in the area and sultan of Egypt, invaded Jerusalem, it left Guy to force to make a choice what exactly he was going to do with his army. Do I leave an army in the field to react to incoming threats? Or do I use that same force to garrison our fortresses? Because he no longer had enough men to do both. Neither of these choices are very good. Staying in the fortresses for months, the campaign season, and refusing to meet Saladin in the field would just mean Saladin's armies would burn their crops to the ground and create a famine. Riding out to meet them could be met with devastation because he could easily be outnumbered and lose his entire army at once. While the Crusaders worked out their differences, Saladin assembled an army of at least 30,000 men for an assault on the Crusader states. Previously, these two sides had a truce that had been lasting for years, but it was rapidly beginning to approach its expiration date. Saladin is famously a smart guy and could see the weaknesses in the Crusader states plain as day like anybody else could. It also didn't help that despite the truce, nobody can control the Knights Templar, who kept raiding Muslim caravans. So Saladin simply used one of those attacks in 1186 uh, from a caravan traveling between Damascus and Cairo as a reason to not renew the truce and a reason for war. Um, Once again, I'm just kind of reminded that everyone kind of exalts the Crusaders as like these like noble people. Well, in reality, they're like a group of British men on a stag do in Krakow. (laughs) I mean, they are fancily dressed bandits like they like they, they even robbed uh, like pilgrims and shit especially the knights templar i mean the knights hospitaller at least opened hospitals um but like the knights templar and, and to a lesser extent the knights hospitaller were just assholes robbing people um and running protection rackets that's all it was um everything everything boils down to uh extortion yeah 100 percent I mean, it's like the pilgrims paid for the protection to be like, wow, it would be a shame if one of those dastardly Saracens fell upon you. And then it's like some guy named Chuck from like Belgrade. Like it's, it's, it's not even a fucking Muslim bandit at all. It's just like, oh, you don't want to pay up. Oh, we got these other guys in that fucking bush. It's going to f- 
fuck your shit up unless you start paying us some crowns, bitch. Like, yeah, you just look around to the guys that are meant to be protecting you and look down at your waist and your coin purse is gone. It's like, where did that go? And he's just like whistling, looking away. Yeah. I actually have a different, different metaphor here. I feel like every time you hear about Saladin, he sounds like the best comparison I can make is like, imagine if the guy who, who owns all of the restaurants in Spain that British tourists go to and is like obviously in charge and knows what's going on, but has to deal with just these fucking idiots who are just saying uno bureau por favor and just like glassing each other in the face constantly like to me, <laughs> uno bureau por favor the, the, the crusaders are sunburned tomato face british tourists on the costa del sol and and saladin is just sort of like the guy who's in charge he's like Do i have to fucking deal with these people again like i realized military victories and all the things he did like he was you know a, a great leader and strategist but in terms of affect, can you imagine how often he must be like, God, these guys are so fucking stupid and there's so many of them. Yeah. I mean, he is every bartender in like Malaga. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> as, as someone who is, by the time this episode comes out, going to the Costa del Sol very soon, I am so excited. <laughs> uh, now, it also helped that Saladin knew this attack on the caravan was by the Knights Templar. And he personally hated the Knights leader, Reynald. To the point that he vowed to murder him with his own hands due to his previous actions. Now, by previous actions, I don't mean that caravan raid. I mean something that's kind of like horrifically shitty even for crusaders. Now, in 1182, Reynald led an expedition down the Red Sea coast and announced his objectives, which was sacking Mecca and Medina, the most holiest sites in Islam. (laughs) Um... Now, while he this seems this seems so short-sighted. I mean, he lost, but the principle of the matter uh, that most sources pretty much blame Reynald specifically to turning Saladin to the concept of jihad to unify Muslims to fight crusaders because again, his wildly blasphemous attempt to burn down Mecca and Medina. Um, so yeah, he he has a special hatred in his heart for Reynald as he had well deserved. So yeah, the Crusader states and the knights had been fucking around and were rapidly about to find out. Guy realized quite quickly that whatever happened next would decide the fate of not only his kingdom, but probably Christendom in the area. Uh, Now, when I say Christendom, I mean the Crusader states, not the religion, uh, because the religion would have been fine under Saladin and often was. Uh, So he did the Crusader state version of scraping the bottom of the barrel to desperately try to make up for his lack of manpower. Castles and cities were stripped bare down to like a skeleton garrison, and he ordered every able-bodied man with or without training to show up and join the army, uh, at which they were generally just like given a spear or a sword, like, you're a soldier. Um, And then the army assembled at Sephoria, where by the end of June, he managed to get together 1,200 knights and maybe 20,000 other troops. But that other was a wide range of mostly untrained randos with weapons he had ordered there. They're not fighters at all. Then he wanted to rally the men around him because things obviously looked kind of hopeless, right? Uh, He ordered the true cross to be brought along to inspire the crusaders. And I know this is probably said quite a lot, but man, there are so many things out there that claim to be the true cross or part of the true cross that are absolutely not it. Uh, a good recent example was Russia claimed that a piece of the True Cross was on the Moskva when it was clamp, uh, clapped by a Ukrainian missile in 2020 or 2022. Sorry. Um, now, forging uh, relics like religious relics f- to to sell to like as part of religious tourism in the Crusader states was rampant. It was actually a pretty important part of the local economy. Um, Even today, churches regularly find out that the piece of the true cross, which they claim has lineage like all the way back to the kingdom of Jerusalem, because it does, because someone bought it from them, like a clergy member or whatever, they actually found out that, oh, this this is from the 1100s because the Knights Templar and then the Knights uh, Hospitaller and other groups who aren't so well known made a lot of fucking money selling this shit to idiot pilgrims and clergy when they came to the Holy Land uh, uh, to like their... Their, for their pilgrimage. Honestly, that is the only thing I will give the cru- the Crusaders as absolutely based. Yeah, that's, that a, that's, so a solid, that's a solid hustle, honestly. I mean, um, just imagining like 
every single graveyard in what's now Israel, Palestine, Jordan, Syria, just getting fucking raided so people can like boil the bones and sell them and be like, I totally have like the remains of Lazarus. Like, yeah, and I mean, there's, in there's a church like, in yep. Armenia that claims they have a piece of the true cross. It's like, come on, guys. No, you don't. Um, <laughs> why, why, why does this uh, femur that's meant to be from Jesus look surprisingly like a dog's leg? <laughs> <laughs> why does Jesus have 16 femurs spread across the world? Um, <laughs> no, I should be completely clear here. Guy and the other crusaders definitely got hustled by this, but they believe this to be the real thing. Um, so, like, you know, there's we're laughing at them and we should uh but you should know that this was not like uh uh you know a swerve by Guy to to try to rally his men they they definitely believe it was real honestly th- this is this just sounds like me buying ecstasy in like 2014 like <laughs> oh yeah man like promise you know it's really good stuff and it's like okay it's like 50 percent caffeine pills yep you know that just like jesus used to take um uh, by the <laughs> hey, by you know the what? end of june Crash really, uh, really uh, fucking hard after you've been up. You know, you 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 go you go on such a binge, you wind up sleeping like the sleep of the dead for three days. I mean, it can happen. And and also in the true um, teachings of Christ, you love absolutely everyone when you take them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, by the end of June, Saladin's forces had attempted to lure the Crusader army out of Sephoria because he knew Sephoria was their only source of water. He wanted to pull them into the open with his army that was easily two times the size of Guy. However, his actions are pretty obvious, and Guy, who will show himself to be a true dumbass here shortly, even he saw it coming, and he chose to stay in their camp close to their supply of water. So Saladin then attacked the town of Tiberias, which also happened to be the city where Raymond's entire family was taking shelter, though I don't think the Saladin actually knew that. Guy thought they should immediately sally forth out of Sephoria and relieve the city, which is obviously Saladin's whole plan. He's again attempting to lure them out. Everybody agreed with him other than Raymond, and Raymond knew that his family was certain to fucking die if the city was to fall. So he squared up with this king and said, nah, man, fuck my wife and kids. We should stay here. So they stayed in Sephoria. Um... Now, Tiberius was a pretty easily defended city uh, and impressive fortifications. And in the best of times, it was expected to be able to hold off any attacker. And in this era, sieges were not uncommon to go beyond a year, right? Um, It it wasn't going to fall overnight. But Saladin's forces mined through the walls, uh, and soon the city was falling quite rapidly. Uh, There was an attempt by the city, like, hey, we'll give you like a whole bunch of gold if you fuck off. Uh, but it didn't work. Now, at this point, everybody in the Crusader command wanted to rally out and relieve the city, deciding they had no choice that Tiberius must be saved. Everyone other than Raymond. So Reynald and Gerard reminded Guy, it's awfully suspicious that Raymond, who was just friends with Saladin, doesn't want to go out and fight him. That must be why. It can't be any tactical purpose like, hey, if we leave Sephoria, we don't have fucking water. Um... No, no, no. He's a traitor. Then a letter was carried by a messenger from Raymond's wife from Tiberius begging for any kind of help that Guy could muster. Raymond was like, no, fuck that. Leave the city to its fate. I assume he really didn't like his wife, um, which I I still find very, very funny. Um, Raymond correctly pointed out that this is all a, a, a distraction. He's trying to pull the army towards Tiberius, which is nothing but open desert, which they all knew. Like th- these areas are not strange to these crusaders. Like this is their backyard. Well, like, you know, once again, proving that the crusaders are spiritually British, spending your time fucking up a foreign country and hating your wife is the most British thing you can do. <laughs> now, at this point, Raymond was completely ignored because the call to save the lady of Tiberius, you know, Raymond's wife, um, became a crusader rallying cry. Guy issued marching orders, falling directly into Saladin's trap. The crusader army command was split into three columns, the king in the center, the Templars in the rear, and Raymond in the front. So, on Ju- mind you, this is in July, in the middle of the fucking desert. Uh, these armor-wearing idiots are now going to march through the middle of the desert. They have bring, they're bringing no water with them. They have no kind of supply train to speak of. 
nothing. And they set out from Sephoria towards their only source of water between Sephoria and Tiberias, this small area called Tehran. Um, no, not that one, uh, which is about a third of the distance towards Tiberias. The second that uh, Saladin's scouts are like, hey, they're leaving Sephoria, he immediately broke off the siege at Tiberias and led his forces directly towards the Crusader army. Then the Crusaders reached Tehran and just kept marching. They didn't stop to get water. Uh, They just kept walking off into the desert sun. And again, like this is not an area they were unfamiliar with. This is a ride that people made all the time. Like traders made it, soldiers made it, knights made it. They constantly went to Tiberias and people from Tiberias constantly went to Jerusalem. They knew there was no other source of water. There wasn't even shade during the rest of their march that they were going to make towards Tiberias, which remember at this point, they still think at the end of this, we have to fight Saladin. <laughs> and now it's fight on heat- faith alone. Faith yeah. is Who- going to inspire them. It's going to give them, you know, all the electrolytes they need. Yeah. <laughs> God gives you what, what you need. Electrolytes and salt. This is just me like running a pure like faith build in Elden Ring and just getting shocked at why I keep getting absolutely bodied at every boss. Now, in the heat of the day, the temperatures are easily like between 100 and 120 degrees Fahrenheit. And these guys were just getting their brains melted by the sun. Remember, there's knights, they're wearing mail, uh, you know, everybody's wearing at minimum chain mail, baking in the sun, wearing like their clothes are probably wool, uh, there's no no way to protect themselves in any way. Come on, guys! At least like get some like linen pants or something. You know, something breathable. Like you know, this is like going to Spain and wearing polyester all the time. <laughs> and then Saladin's troops showed up. Horse archers appeared on their front and their flanks, immediately raining arrows down onto the Crusaders. Now the Crusaders' army immediately rushed out to attack them, but the lightly armored and armed horse archers were much faster. They could just pull back. uh, And then when the Crusader cavalry got tired, they would just shoot at them again. Each time the knights would charge out, they would tire their horses out more and they were more burned out by the sun. slowly sapped by dehydration with no water and the supplies to speak of, and not to mention all the arrows being fired into their bodies, which was also a problem. This went on for hours. The attacks began in the morning, and by mid-afternoon, the Crusader forces were beginning to be stretched out, as this is the point. Remember the three columns, and Saladin had troops on purpose work their way in between each separate column so they couldn't link up. Harassed by arrows and spears for hours, units would charge out on their own without orders, just like frustrated and mad about this, only to be shot to hell and left in the dust. Saladin, seeing an opening launched an attack on the Crusaders' rear guard, commanded by the Templars. This was a tried-and-true Saladin tactic, and also clear as day. This tactic placed the Saladin's army directly behind the Crusader army. Now, if the Crusaders want to break off their advance, going to Tiberias and go back to Tehran or Sephoria for water, they couldn't. At 9 a.m. on the first day of battle, the Crusaders' army's their fate was sealed. They, they were doomed. They just didn't know yet. Their columns continued to be strung along, shot with arrows, impaled with spears, and dropping from heat and thirst. A little after noon, a messenger told the king that the rear guard Templars were about to be overrun. At this point, Guy had no idea what to do. Instead of acting, doing anything, he sent a messenger to the head of the, co- the, head of the column, to Raymond, asking, what should I do? Now, if there was ever a time to listen to Raymond, it would have been back at Sephoria and to never leave the camp. And now, Raymond was out of good advice. The advice he gave was to stop the army's march and set up a camp with the hopes that the army would come back together, and in the morning, they could make another tor- push towards Tiberius. Now, this is very clearly a dumb idea. You're being harassed, surrounded, and you're just like, let's just stop in the middle of it. I, I am very impressed at the Crusaders' ability to create dry Dunkirk, but they've done it somehow. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, And even though Raymond had the best advice of anyone yesterday, not leaving, which was ignored, Guy decided to listen to him now with his very bad advice. So stop the army he did, making a camp in a completely bone dry stretch of desert near a town named Muscana. At this point, the army was in pretty much 
dire straits. Most of the non-noble soldiers, i.e. all the guys who had gotten drafted for this shit, had deserted entirely or just dropped their weapons in the sand, refusing to fight. Because at the time, Saladin was known for taking mercy on those who surrendered. So like, if the soldiers ran up and you're just an armed, unarmed guy, like, all right, go on your way, sir. So they're like, you're like, my best option here is to not fight. You guys keep doing that night shit. I'll be back here. Might convert to Islam. I don't know. Um, as the Crusaders settled into their camp for the night, the attacks by Saladin's forces stopped. Atta- you know, attacking at night is quite uncommon back then, but they did start trolling them. Saladin's soldiers surround the camp so closely that, quote, a cat could have not escaped, including, according to a uh, Arab scholar. The Crusaders were, quote, despondent, tormented by thirst, while Saladin's men were celebrated. Throughout the night, the Muslims began to loudly pray, sing, beat drums, and chant to keep the Crusaders awake. Once again, based as hell. Yeah. Getting hit with that tactical drum and bass. Um, Just playing like Dutch happy hardcore to keep you awake all night <laughs> as a psyop. Yeah. All you hear is, Yas haka do 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 Saladin doing a hack like in the dust. To punish you, I am so sorry. We have brought Berlin's finest DJ. I was going to say, they're, do- they're, 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 they're doing Saracen Gabber. <laughs> They just like bring out the Saracen version of Scooter. Hardcore, what the floor? Du, du, du. Just like playing the Logic song over and over again. It's, it's all that time where you show up to a club, but you're not drunk or high. You're like, wow, this is how bad the music is, huh? <laughs> um, and as Saladin had his caravan bring up gallons of water and tens of thousands of arrows for the next day, at the next morning's battle, which everybody knew was coming. He also had his men stack dry brush upwind of the Crusader camp, which they then set on fire. This caused black smoke to waft into the camp. And not only is this annoying, uh, it dried their throats out even more. Mind you, these guys have been marching through the desert for a day and a half at this point without water. And now they're choking on smoke. It also covered the movements of Saladin's forces. As his army began to rain arrows down on the Crusaders, other parts of the army moved in. Again, not sure of what to do, Guy asked everybody else for help. Reynald and Gerard said they had no choice but to break out of the camp using their mounted knights and leave the infantry behind to die. Um, Guy decided, you know what? That sounds great. Let's do that. He ordered his brother, who was the constable of the kingdom, to get together enough men to carry out this charge, which Raymond would then lead. There is something of a, of a, of a history here, like a charge by armored crusader knights was a terrifying thing. And it had broken more than one Muslim army over the years. But, you know, they had learned. Saladin was ready for this attack this time. And he developed a revolutionary new tactic to handle it. Stepping out of the way. I'm not even <laughs> kidding. It's like, you know, putting your hand on someone's head that's trying to hit you. And they're not, like, tall enough to actually take a swing. Saladin did a tactical high five too slow. You know, um, <laughs> as Raymond's force of armored knights thundered forward, the Muslim line simply opened and let it pass straight through. Um, Incredible. As Raymond and the knights paused on the other side of the line, unsure of just what the fuck had just happened. Like, did, did they just move out of the way? Um, nobody is exactly sure as to what happens next. Either the Muslims attack them from behind and wipe them out or the knights seeing they have broken through the line and out of the encirclement, like, let's just go home. And they ride off, leaving everybody else to die. Uh, either of these situations, Raymond survived the battle, uh, though he died a couple months later. Um, whatever had happened, the mounted knights were gone. And regardless of whatever happened, they are now up Shit's Creek without a paddle. And, uh, you know, I would like to believe that if they just rode off into the sunset, throwing a middle finger up to their own king. Now, the king was left still in the trap under a hail of arrows with no mounted knights to speak of. The army attempted to fight out of that camp, now changing their destination to a spring at the Horns of Hatton, uh, which is like an extinct volcano area, but it was just completely out of the way and it was not part of the original thing. They're under attack the entire way eventually hiding out in an old Bronze Age ruin that had still had a wall around it. Like, pretty, like, their backs are against the wall. And they tried to break out a, a, a couple more times, but each time they tried, they failed. 
Uh, and again, in order to rally his men, Guy ordered the royal tent to be popped up, which is like bright red, and it placed the true cross within it, declaring, as long as this tent stands, so shall we. Well, unfortunately for him, I think Saladin immediately knew that, like, I gotta fuck that tent up. That seems important. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, they probably knew that they were all going to die at this point. Um, and I assume the few people who didn't ride out with Raymond really wish they would have. Uh, now, uh, a Muslim historian notes, quote, no matter how hard they fought, they were repulsed. No matter how often they rallied, each time they were encircled. Not even an ant crawled out from among them, nor could they defend themselves against the onslaught. They retreated to Mount Hatton to escape the storm of destruction. But on Hatton itself, they found themselves encompassed by fatal thunderbolts. Arrowheads transfixed them. The peaks laid them low. Bows pinned them down. Fate tore at them. Calamity chewed them up and disaster tainted them. And goddamn, can I just say historians used to write way better? Back when history was cool. It does. Yeah, I was going to say, it, it definitely, well kind of captures the uh the the minute by minute detail of it as far as just being rent asunder which is always i mean it sucks to experience but is always very very funny if you're just an observer of it yeah th- this reads more like a diss track than a his- than a history track which is why i like it so much like I, I i really hate when people think that historians need to stay like i don't know central and uh, completely flavorless and objective like it's fucking boring man it's always it's always extremely funny if you've ever had the chance to read any like li- contemporary literature of the day when they describe this stuff because it basically feels like you're you're they're describing a 14th century video game like it's just you know <laughs> one single knight cleaving a hundred Saracens in twain, holding a sword that like is bigger than Cloud Strife's buster sword in Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> just like the most absurd. And it's obviously it's made up. Obviously it's basically propaganda. It's just storytelling. But it is, there is this like, I, I remember having to read uh, the capture of Orange for a medieval French literature class. And it's just exactly this. It's just like, you know, your badass crusader hero <laughs> capturing the Saracen queen who's white and Christian for some reason. And it's just like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's always ridiculous. And so like, this is an actual event and hearing it described this way, I'm just like, yep, Cloven and Twain, rent asunder, you know, <laughs> just, yep. just just split down the middle. Incredible Tainted stuff. by disaster. Um, now, however hopeless the situation though is, like the, Cru- the crusaders did have some fight in them and they got really close to actually killing Saladin himself. Um, it was led by a noble named Balian, uh, and uh, they they got like within swords distance of Saladin before being their charge was broken by Saladin's bodyguards. So yeah, it, they almost like managed to scrape a dub out of the situation. However, after this, the Crusaders just didn't have much left to give. Fighting on for two days without water in the desert heat, they fell apart. By the time Saladin's forces broke their line, they literally just walked in like. Knights and soldiers from Guy's army that weren't dead or wounded were pretty much just laying on the ground, unconscious and dying from heat exhaustion and heat stroke. Uh, they didn't even try to defend themselves. After the battle, both Guy and Reynald were captured and brought to Saladin, who offered them water. Guy took the water and Reynald refused. Saladin told him, quote, drink, for you will never drink again. And Reynald responded, if it pleased God, I would never drink anything offered by Saladin. And then he told Saladin, if the battle had gone the other way... I'd behead you. Now, this story also has a nif- an- another way. Because remember, Saladin fucking hates Reynald. Saladin offered Guy water, which he then took and then handed to Reynald. But Saladin got pissed because he hated Reynald, slapped the cup of water out of his hand and screamed, quote, I did not ask for this evil man to drink, and he did not save his life by doing so. Meaning he, of course, planned to murder him. And he did. He made good of his plan of murdering Reynald with his bare hands, uh, impaling him with a sword, cutting off his head, and then sending his head to Damascus, where he's dragged through the streets as punishment for being a fucking prick. Guy was sure he was next in line to die as king of Jerusalem, but Saladin told him to calm down. Quote, kings do not kill kings. Um, now, unfortunately for the Templars, he was not so merciful, because they're the Templars. They don't deserve mercy, really. Like, they're, they're again, they're highway bandits who prey upon Muslims. Um, now, of course, because Saladin pretty much always did this, assuming you're not Reynald, he offered to save their lives if they converted to Islam, which Saladin also knew as Knights Templar, they would absolutely never do. Um, at which point, when they all rejected it, they were beheaded. 
commoners were sold into slavery, and nobles were ransomed off for large sums of money, which is all very normal for the era. Guy was held prisoner for a year before being released, and within a few months, the Crusader states had all fallen, at least for now, um, and it took Jerusalem nearly a year under siege before it finally fell to Saladin. Then, in 1189, fresh out of prison, Guy launched an assault against Saladin, sparking the third fucking crusade, and probably making Saladin really wish he would have killed that guy when he had the chance. The end. Oh, God. These guys just need to, like, realize when they're ahead and not just, like, get handed, like, L plus ratio plus Lachad Hasirt, if I can say that in Arabic correctly. (laughs) Like, it's like, really quit while you're ahead. Like, this man has spared your life, and you're like, nah, fuck that guy. And you're just going <laughs> to get, like, absolutely bodied once again. Like, L plus ratio. I thought I taught no you this kingdom. lesson, old man. Yeah, exactly. L plus ratio plus no Salah. You simply are unable <laughs> to fucking handle it. Now, boys, fellas, gentlemen, we do a thing on the show called Questions from the Legion. And this one is actually quite interesting. Um, we all are... We're all three of us are immigrants from our home country. Um, we migrate away from our country of birth. What is something minor that you notice that is different from where you're from? Not something like huge and annoys you to no end, but like something minor that's like, huh, well, that certainly doesn't happen where I'm from. Like, what are one of those things? Uh, the sausages in the UK suck. Isn't that supposed to be like their thing, though? I mean, they, I don't they're, think they're bad, like- but they're, they're, they're not as good as other European sausages for sure. But I think like as far as your general, like for what they are and for what the British, English, whatever fucking flavor palette is, I feel like they're pretty high quality. They're just not interesting. No, it's, it's because they're it's like boring sausage. It's, a, it's like 60% pork, 40% like sawdust, like we <laughs> 10% and, like, horse meat. And not to be like a weird, like Irish nationalist about it, but like. There is an Irish butcher around the corner from our house. And like sausages are really good in Ireland. And they do like uh, Irish recipe sausages and chipoladas. I, d- I don't understand why they have to call a small sausage a chipolata, but whatever. Um, And they have like Irish recipe ones. And it's just like 100% pork or like 99% pork and some seasoning. And it's just way better. And I will like mud wrestle in the desert with someone who will argue that like British sausages are actually nice because they're just like watery pork with like loads of seasoning in it and it's like there's no actual like meat flavor to it yeah I would say um I don't know if you've ever had merguez but they're uh the they're a kind of like uh halal sausage from North Africa they're really common in France and like for me obviously like the quality of sausage in my opinion you can get like in a grocery store here is better than you can in America but like when you're in France, like basically it's just it's like up a notch from Britain. And so I can understand why if that's what it's like, you know, between Ireland and here, why, you know, Irish immigrants here would be like, what the fuck? Similarly, I think European immigrants who live in or continental European immigrants who live in the UK are probably like dismayed by what their options are because it's not as good. But for me, I think, you know, as regards your point, Tom, uh, the general quality of stuff, even like cheaper stuff in the UK is still better than in America at the same price point. Uh, in the sense that, like, if you go to Whole Foods, you get bougie stuff in America. If you go to Fresh Market, you get bougie stuff, and like, it's pretty high quality. But it's not—it's not super great. It's just better than your your standard. But like, cheap groceries in America are pretty dog shit quality. Whereas here, it hasn't gotten quite to American food safety and food preparation standards yet. It'll eventually get there because the, the the Brits love doing post Soviet re- restructuring on themselves. Uh, but I would say. Like in general, I think I'm not as dismayed by it because like I find that the quality of ingredients you get here in general is better than America. Just like your garden variety, you go to a Tesco Express, you go to a Sainsbury's local, you go to Morrison's, a little and Aldi, like by and large, what you're getting will be better. And if you go like you you have money and you go to like Marks and Spencer, it's really good. Um, And also groceries in Britain are cheaper in general than America by a significant margin. My difference, my big thing as an immigrant, if yeah, I mean at this point I'm not ever planning on moving back to America, so you know there you have it. Uh, I, th- I think I think one for me that sticks out is moving from you know, what is comparatively like a, a much poorer part of the world uh, than the United States. People here dress significantly better um, than the like the normal Armenian will drink uh, will dress significantly nicer than a, than a normal American, um, which is baffling to me because the average person here makes significantly less money. 
um, which is like really like shocked me. Not because like, oh, how do poor people afford things? But like, because I dress like shit. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> fuck, I stick out really badly. So like I've had to purchase like a whole new goddamn wardrobe. Uh, <laughs> you went from the, the single best dressed American to the worst dressed Armenian. Yeah, by far. Um, like uh, e- even like an old man walking down the street is dressed better than I dress like when I dress up before I moved here. I- I've I've noticed this being, for example, in Switzerland, obviously a very wealthy country, but uh, in general, people just the fits are better wherever you go. Um, I think Brit Brits dress better than Americans in general, which is not a huge thing. It's just more that like you don't get the the wild, ridiculous extremes uh of of some of just extremely like you know forty year old guy who is dressed basically like an oversized six-year-old. You don't really have that as much. Um, my big difference is Brits keep their houses colder in winter. And as a result, like there seems to be this kind of competition about, uh, um, you know, I don't turn my heating on, which is baffling to me as an American. It's a small thing, but it's baffling. So that's my difference. I, I, I also do that here. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me again. Uh, you can use this area to plug your shows that other people should listen to and enjoy. Uh, listen to my show Beneath the Skin, which is a history show about the history of everything culture, the history of tattooing, and 33rd County with me and Shocks about what it means to be Irish and Irish-American. Yeah, and everyone knows about What a Hell of a Way to Die and Kill James Bond and Trash Future, which are shows that I am either producer or host of, so please listen to those. Again, everybody, thank you so much for listening. If you like what we do here on the show, consider supporting us on Patreon. You get sh- episodes like this early. You get bonus episodes. You get access to our Discord, which is you know a wonderful little community. It's been around for years now. Um, you get all sorts of other stuff as well. Um, and if you don't want to give us money, that's fine. It's your money. Do with what you please. But you can leave us a review on your podcast platform, whatever it is, for free. Uh, so please do that. And until next time, uh, dr- drink water, I guess. Drink water.